sit back, relax, and enjoy the warm sounds of the Beer Engine podcast with Griff and Tony. Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, welcome to the Beer Engine. Griff here, sitting uh, 6,000 miles away from my co-host. He's the food and beverage director for Antifa. Tony, how you doing, man? Look, I'm good. I'm good. Look, I have been busy, but uh, they've got me in a construction role. Apparently, I've got to lay out some bricks, <laughs> just like on random street corners. Um, is there a street corner near you? Perhaps I could dump some near you. Acme Bricks. I was honestly, you know, I've been surprised, <coughs> excuse me, to get the, to understand the the depth of infrastructure that appears to be in place with, with this organization and, and to have someone who's in charge of, you know, most of the time you're just running the catering up. You're, you're bringing, you're filling up the kegerators, you're, uh, you're, you're ordering lunch, you're making sure that, you know, people working late have snacks on hand. Um, but, but, you know, uh, under current circumstances, you're, you're out on the front line. It seems oh, like somebody's got to be moving those bricks. Look, we're not a centralized organization. So somebody's got to move them. Who better? And what a great cover, food and beverage man. I do it all. I move the bricks. I am the cog in the wheel and only Acme Bricks. I want to make that clear. If you see <laughs> bricks from someone else, that is clearly not Antifa. Acme. That is clearly coming from somewhere else. I would look to the left, but that's just me. Look to the, yeah, I would I would be hunting down the Acme, look for the coyote, look for the roadrunner. They're running around around these things. It's wild. And we all know that the roadrunner was the evil one amongst the, that pair. He tortured that oh poor God. coyote. The roadrunner, he gets off scot-free, no injuries at all, but he, he took pleasure in torturing that coyote. Unbelievable. I'm not even sure if birds are in a coyote's <coughs> diet. I mean, I guess I don't. I don't know if. I mean, I don't know if a coyote, coyotes has got a more of a. They're they're sort of they're less of like they're not enjoying the hunt. They're trying to take advantage of of what's available, right? <laughs> they're, just, they're just picking off little mice and shit. I don't think they're they're trying to chase around a fast bird or anything like that. It's kind of wild. Well, Tony, uh, you know, of course, um, I assume things in Australia are the same as they are here. Um, I, I'm not even going to ask. Uh, everything here is. I'm just assuming that <clears throat> there in the outback, you have. Uh, like I've mentioned, uh, roving bands of uh, uniformed militia. Uh, they're, they're running around out there and come knocking on your door. Well, not so much knocking on your door, but when they're uh, arresting Indigenous youth, they're uh, holding their hands behind their back and sweeping oh, their yeah. leg. So, And that could be true for all I know, actually. I, I too, That sounds like it might be true. Um, that is true. That happened two days but, ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So... In some ways, you you do have um, uh, a similar uh, situation here. So, um, in the end, uh, what it means for me, and of course, you guys know I'm very selfish. Um, uh, what it means for me is I'm in the house. Uh, I remain here. Uh, we are on day 83 <coughs> for me of uh, being homebound. Uh, Tony, I my understanding is that things in your neck of the woods are returning to some level of normalcy. Is that is that still the case? That is still the case. We are still not seeing a increase in COVID cases, and we are getting back to some most um, pre-COVID activities. We're not seeing um, sporting events start to open up to the public yet, but we do have start dates for both our national codes. Rugby League has kicked off. So if you want to watch a sport other than the um, Faroe Islands soccer, you can check out Australian Rugby League. They're back and going. And I think um, June 11th, um, the Aussie Rules will be back. So if you want to watch some Aussie Rules, that'll be back with with no crowd. It happens very early in the morning for me. So uh, that, could be a, that could be a challenge. But... Um I am interested. Uh, it's something. As long as you stay clear of the Australian papers, I don't have a problem with you watching it on delay, as long as you don't know the result. There's no need to get up in the middle of the night. Not like you need to watch this stuff live. Yeah, but I want to bet on it. You uh, know? Very true. And that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. The uh, 
Well, we're, we're, uh, we have uh, restaurants are open again here, um, only for outdoor dining and, uh, boy, what a great experience that sounds like you're sitting out on the patio. You're, uh, you have to, uh, you have a very regulated experience, um, with, uh, uh, a lot of distance and, and masks and, and mere feet away from you are, um, you know, the F or mentioned, uh, bands of police, uh, scurrying about, uh, looking at, at uh, looking at anyone. I was going to say anyone suspicious, but essentially anyone's suspicious and they're staring them down, uh, waving around their shit, you know? So boy, I just want to go out and get, and get to the restaurant, you know, like that, but I've decided to play it safe. Can I ask you if you, um, relive some of Chicago's past glories in the fact that, uh, on Netflix, we've got a new series of somebody feed film. And he focused on Chicago. Oh, I did watch that actually. Yeah, um, I did watch that. What do you think of somebody feed Phil? I, I mean, it's what do you think of it, Tony? Of the oh, show? I really enjoy it because he's not a cynic. He goes in there with a childlike joy about everything, and he gives everything a go. And he doesn't always stick to the cl- cliched sort of tried and true. Um, places. Well, he did Chicago Pizza. It wasn't at Lou Moldenardi's or the other one that compete to say they invented it. Um, he did do the Italian beef, which is like, as we know, it's it's to the food scene as to what Scotty Pippen was to the Chicago Bulls. That's correct. Yep. Um, so not only did I enjoy his his show on Chicago, I enjoy Somebody Feed Phil in general. What's your view on that show? I think he has a little bit of um, he he th- he threads the the line. He he sort of walks the line between um, <clears throat> uh, just like corny, funny, and slightly cringeworthy corny. Um, but I think in a uh, it's not in a negative way where I'm just like you know this is weird <laughs> or he's saying something fucked up or anything. You know, he's very positive. He went to places that I like, which I uh, will will say. So so just to break down this show, uh, hopefully I'm not spoiling this. For, can I spoil a food show? Is that is that even a feasible thing to do? I don't think it is. Uh, Pequod's is fantastic. Pequod's is, is my favorite uh, pizza in the city. I'm sure someone, you know. One of one of the people listening to this is going to be like, oh, it's hard of pizza, or oh, it's Bert's, and Bert is really Pequod's owner, and he died, and, uh, and before that, he had run Bert's. But um, Pequod's is my favorite with the cheese crust, with the cheese pushed up against the uh, the cast iron tin. Um, I hope you noticed that, Tony. They they get the they get like a ring of cheese on the top. Yeah, that sounds delicious. It's like a grilled cheese. The best part of that is the cheese that falls that falls out, and um it liquefies on the plate and then goes brown. So that pizza just sounded delicious. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit unnecessary with extra cheese is just my opinion. I, I get it. You know, some people just are, are nuts about cheese. Extra cheese on the Chicago pizza, you're starting to, you're starting to enter like, like anxious feeling in my, in my stomach. You know what I mean? Like this is dairy overload um i think i think one normal cheese is fine for her for a deep dish that's just my <laughs> personal recommendation but hey you know what if you're if you're a cheese fiend go for it whatever um you might not you might not shit for a week but it's all right who likes shitting anyways so we covered the pizza what about the what about the other um places he visited i'm sure you're not familiar with every one of those places but the places you are familiar with sort of was his depiction accurate? I am familiar with almost all of the places. Um, I uh, I don't. I always beef is sort of middle of the pack to me. And oh, again, somebody go. might get pissed off to me about that. Fuck him. Um, yeah, fuck him. Uh, go get that extra cheese pizza. Um, <laughs> the the Al's just. I, I don't know. I don't get enough out of the the seasoning on the on the beef itself. Um, and and uh, if, when we have when we have Brian back on, I think he would confirm this. Um, since I, I love Buona, I'm a Buona fan. I'm a Buona lover. Uh, Buona, I know, is a suburban place. You know, I'm double birding you. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I I love Buona. 
I love their Jardinera. They do more of a like a heavy pickle Jardinera with olives in it. Ooh. Uh, uh, Al's does not do olives in it. I like the olives in there. It starts to remind me of uh, the blown up beef. And you might know what this is. It reminds me just like a, the tiniest bit, not the right seasonings of Ropa Vieja, the uh, Cuban dish, which is this um, slow roasted beef dish that um, is mixed together with uh, j- this mix of olives and peppers and pimentos just oh. just stirred up together. It's so good and it's briny. And that's what the Buona beef makes me think of. And you do get it dipped. It should be sloppy like that guy showed you uh, that the, the bread is sort of falling apart a little bit. <laughs> that's correct. The stance thing is a Guy Fieri thing. Whatever. Uh, you can sit down and eat your beef sandwich. It's okay. You're allowed. Just lean forward. Lean forward. Eat it in your car crying. Eat two of them in your car crying. I don't know. Uh, Sounds like you've I, done I, that I before. I've done, I, I, I haven't done it this week, but, you know, <laughs> you might do it. And I don't know. It's up to you. Uh, I love that. The other place I was familiar with but I haven't been to is Monteverde, which looked fucking awesome. The pasta, the pasta restaurant. Oh yes, with Sarah Sarah Green Greenberg. Uh, boy, that looked amazing. <laughs> so I got to get there uh, after this. Uh, after once we're allowed to do that again. Now, how local is a place like that to you? Because not being a Chicago local, I don't know how accessible these things are. Well, it's fine to say it was about Chicago. Chicago is a large city and does take some time to get around. So if it's on the other side, it's it- in the West Loop. Okay. Yeah, it's in the West Loop, 45, 45 minutes maybe for me, um, depending on traffic. I could probably get there in less, but it's it's if we were going into town, which we do relatively frequently for, for suburbanites, uh, well, not now, but we would, <laughs> The uh, it would be a reasonable place to go. It's, it's close to a handful of other it, – it's it's kind of in the main restaurant district right now in, in West Loop, Fulton Market, so – I, I would love to go there. If I don't want to turn this into a travel podcast or a, even a food podcast, but who gives a fuck? I'm a food. Yeah, we, food I driven think we can person. do anything. Yeah. Um, what is the one under the radar thing that people should eat in Chicago that you haven't mentioned and is out of the mainstream? Ooh. Like it can be a twist or just somebody who does it better. Like we all know. Chicago dogs are one of the best forms of hot dogs. Maybe there's a place that nobody knows about that does it well. So I'm going to give you two that maybe tourists wouldn't know about. Chicagoans are going to know about this stuff. Um, And some tourists will know about it, but you might not. So the first one, uh, the like food, like the Chicago style food that I think people don't have a high awareness of is the breaded steak. The breaded steak is a very, very good sandwich. And so it's, it's. Can I just um, ask the question how is this different to a schnitzel? Um, I don't know. It is. I mean, it's 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 a it's a it is what it sounds like. I mean, it's a breaded steak sandwich. I suppose you could say it's a schnitzel. It's usually put. They usually put red sauce on it. It's usually got Italian red sauce on it, um, and cheese and mozzarella. Uh, I think it's delicious. It's huge. Um, it usually is on a, just a kind of plain bun and sticks out of the bun. I think it's delicious. I don't know. Uh, it might be. I mean, yeah, sure. It's a steak schnitzel. Do people eat a steak schnitzel? We do in Australia. I, I, I wasn't even familiar with that. Schnitzel is generally pork in in Germ in here and in Germany. In Germany, Romeo. I believe so. Germany. Yeah, it's pork. Yeah, v- Wiener schnitzel. <laughs> yes. Um, in Australia, we we do eat a lot of beef schnitzel, pork schnitzel, chicken schnitzel. Um, the schnitzel chicken is schnitzels around here, yeah. Um, a word for essentially breaded meat. Yeah, I mean, chicken parmesan is a chicken schnitzel with red sauce on it. I mean, I don't know yeah. what, what you want me to tell you, you know. But uh, I think um, I think a steak a steak sandwich is essentially that, yeah. Because um, that's we have a beef palm. Chicken palm is more popular, but uh, beef palm is definitely a thing. We have veal parm. That's a small beef. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, where does that go? So, <laughs> so where would you recommend getting one of these breaded sandwiches, breaded beef sandwiches? 
Rico Bene is, is the place to go. I'm not going to give you a location of it. There's a handful of them, but uh, go to Rico Bene's. Um, they also make big pieces of pizza. If you like that too, giant, like fat pieces of tavern style pizza. So you can do that. And the other place I'm going to recommend that's a little bit like more of a, it's not fine dining, but is casual dining. Nice dining is a place called St. Lou's assembly. And it's, it, you, when it, when it opened, it was like a cafeteria style place, um, that sort of had a, you got a tray and you, and they sort of made lined everything up and they would put everything on the plate for you like live. Um, now it's more of what I'd call a meet and three or what they call a meet and three, which is you get a, you know, you pick up kind of a main protein and they, and then you can pick from like a list of 10 sides and it's fucking delicious. It's all amazing. Uh, it's not, it, it's got sort of a, this very, very casual, very old school theme where there's pictures of like, 1970s little league baseball teams and old trophies from winning the softball league or something. And they have this beautiful patio uh, out, uh, out back uh, of the restaurant where, where they do frozen cocktails and that you can eat out there and they do lots of shared stuff that you can just pick at while you're sitting on some of the uh, patio furniture and stuff. It's, it's outstanding. It's insanely fun. It's next to this really cool bar that the same guys also own uh, so St. Louis is killer and that's in the West loop too. So that's, that's by all the other restaurants and stuff. Check it out. It's great. So with bar culture specifically in Chicago, I don't know whether you can speak for the rest of America. Um, how common is a food scene around um, bars? And because part of our pub culture in Australia is most of them serve food. It can vary. It can be sort of, medium to low tier food and it it's generally like chicken palm is a is a pub standard mm-hmm. in a in Ch- Australian chicken parm and chips yeah. yeah palm and chips or palm and veggies if you want to go the vegetable route which is like potato broccoli sure beans, whatever uh it depends I, I think the same i mean uh, the majority of of bars here i'd call more like a tavern or a pub and yep some of them throw burger have burgers on their menu. Um, some of them don't. Some of them are just dive bars that don't really have any food. And <laughs> one of my favorites in the suburbs just has like bags of corn nuts, and um, they they make little ta- these t- Michael's Tavern pizzas, which you get a special oven to make them in, and you throw the little frozen pizza in there, and it spits it out, <laughs> and it's okay, honestly, for shit pizza, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, so most most bars are kind of exactly like that. They're, they're, I'd say mid tier food. And then there's the higher end, which is what I think you'd probably also call like a gastro pub. Um, like a, I don't know if you have that term there, maybe not, but that's like a, like a nice, like a nice bar yeah. with, with that, that you could come to for the purpose of eating. You know, you'd, you'd say like, Oh, I'm going there because I want to eat. This place has amazing, you know, food has, has uh, the publican is, is, you know, a, a stretch on a gastro pub, but there's yeah. a few other ones that just make really high end food too. That is more a British term, but we certainly have one close by. It's not in uh, the town that I live, but there's a town literally five minutes down the road. Um, and it has a population of 70 people, 70, not 700, 7,070. Wow. And so we've, we've got those. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a t- town that has two businesses basically in it. <laughs> so you've got the general store and you have the Tanamba Hotel. The Tanamba Hotel um, does tremendous food and you go there to eat an evening meal. It is still a pub. It still has a bar on the side where you can just drink and they'll, they'll serve bar meals. But predominantly it is designed not for local people to walk in and have a beer but to serve meals and they do a tremendous job of that. My um, further question, because you've got more choices around this, so I think you're a good person to ask. Out of the places you visited, who does the best combination experience that does good food and beverage together in Chicago or anywhere in the United States that you've been to? Oh, man. I'll start with Chicago because it's on the front of my mind right now. It's a place called Owen Owen and Engine. Uh, It's an English 
style pub. I'd say it's a stretch to say they have only English food. They do make a good fish and chips. They make one of the best burgers in town. They have some shared stuff that I think is fucking amazing. They did they for a while. I don't know if they still do this. They did a bread plate, which is very Chicago feeling thing. Just like just get fat on all these. And it was like six little tiny rolls and baguettes, like bite size, not bites, like two bites. And just six different ones, like there'd be a little, uh, and they baked them all in house. So there'd be a little rye and, and they'd have its own spread. And then there'd be a little like biscuit roll or something like that. And it would have its own butter and all this stuff came out and it was so good. I love that place. Um, and they have great cocktails. They have a ton of good beer on tap, 30 beers on tap and four en- like engines on, uh, always running. It's, it's a great place and it's in a weird spot. It's across the street from like a regal cinemas, just the biggest <laughs> eyesore in this, you know, this 30 multiplex, uh, movie theater. And, and there's the parking is fine. It's actually easy. It's like free parking pretty much. Um, so it's, it's one of my favorite places to go. Uh, and, uh, it's better fish and chips than I ate in England. That's for sure. Um, kind of a, taking a shot in England just eat <laughs> well, it well here's a, a sort of um, difference that you may not know about Australian food of course we we stole fish and chips or the, the English donated fish and chips to Australia but we do um, it slightly differently um, because in England they, they pre-cook all their chips and they just take it out of like a Bay Marie kind of thing Most I hate it, that okay most of our fish and chips are cooked to order. So we... That might be the difference uh, with, with Owen and Engine compared to anything because that, that was like, they, they're not dropping that in the fryer until you order it, I mean. Yeah, not just the fish but also the chips and any sort of sides. Yeah. We have a thing called a potato cake, which is a large slice of potato, not particularly thick, but they pick a large potato to do it with. And it's it's like... Just sort of a slice, uh, I don't know, maybe an eighth of an inch thick, and that is thrown in the same batter that they use for the fish, and that sucker's deep fried, delicious. I think they're unique to Australia. Uh, in most places, they're called potato cakes. In New South Wales, they are called scallops. Weird, they're not okay. scallops at all. <laughs> but another unique thing is the fish we use. We don't use cod. We use a fish called flake. Have you ever had flake? I'm familiar with flake. Yeah, I think I had it in Ireland. I, I, are you sure? Because what flake? No. <laughs> okay, because there's a fish called hake, which is a common. Oh, yeah, that's a. It's like a. Okay, yeah, maybe not. I don't remember. Okay, what flake what is, is? Is it is shark. So we, uh... we use gummy shark, which is sort of like the highest end flake. No bones. It is delicious, especially when it's fresh. If you get fresh gummy, it is delicious. Or uh, to go on a fish and chips rant, there's actually a place um, down by where my dad lives in uh, in Gulf Coast, Florida, that has a uh, that makes uh, fish and chips with grouper. Yep. And grouper is this fucking heinous looking, ugly <laughs> son of a bitch of a fish, uh, nasty, um, but it, it it's very good. And very distinct tasting fish. Um, and I really love that place. And they do a nice batter on it too. So grouper uh, and chips in, in Naples. If you're hanging out with the elderly, <laughs> give it a try. It's good. Um, I can't, can't think of another bar in the country that I am like itching to go to more than own an engine. You know, that was the problem with the, uh, with watching the, 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 uh, the Phil Rosenthal show is that I um I just really really wanted to go into the city. I felt I was like it might as well be a thousand miles away yep. for me to go and 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 go to dinner in uh, at Monteverde or go get a Italian beef from Al's. I don't want to go there anyways. Okay. I can get a blown and delivered to I can get blown and delivered to my house. What do I care? But yeah, get that uh, or like- or pe- Pequods for that matter. You know, but you can get uh, Pequods delivered. Oh, I can't. I can get blown and delivered. Oh, Pequod's is too far. Pequod's Pequod's is actually pretty far. It's out by it's it's closer to Wrigley Field up north. Um so yeah, I was jealous. Just to get back on the fish and chip bandwagon, 
what's your beer of choice? To me, it, it comes down to a choice between two. Maybe you've got something else. Maybe you choose a pastry stout. But I would pastry stout. <laughs> I would choose between a pilsner or a pale ale, not new school pale ale like you 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 your classic bog standard American pale. Or maybe an English bitter is a reasonable choice, but for me it comes down to those two. Pale ale, something hoppy but not not super modern that dominates or something super clean and crisp. Um, what's your view? What do you pair with with fish and chips? All right. So I'll I'll I agree with West with like a West Coast type of pale ale or, yeah. or like a Sierra Nevada type of pale ale. I think that's but I'm going to throw this out there and this is just because I love pairing this type of beer with food is like a dry hop Saison or good something choice. I think would be really good with this. So something snappy, uh, something, but I, I just love the taste of French and Belgian style beer with any food. Uh, and I think with fried food like that, it's perfect. Um, but yeah, I would get something that has a little hop bite, something like Tank Seven from Boulevard. That's the exact beer I was thinking of. Was Tank Seven would be a perfect match, and I'll get you drunk too. It's eight percent, <laughs> so that'll get you a nice buzz on you, uh, and you want that. Uh, I actually have some saison in my fridge next to me that I kind of want to open now, but I'm not going to. Um, called uh, from from a beer uh, from a brewery called Burial, which I've been getting a lot of shipments from. I think I've mentioned on this show and. You have. Uh, they made a, that's a great saison too called camp camp saison it's excellent so, so that would be great with fish and chips can you tell me a little bit more about the saison like i don't need graphic detail but saison is a huge style there's a huge difference between tank 7 and dupont and they're not even extremes of the style so like is it a crisp is it the beer that you were talking about that would go with fish and chips? Is it that hot full saison? You could drink, you could drink Dupont too. I mean, it it lingers a little more, but it's pretty clean too. I mean, Dupont is not like a, it's not it's not like sitting on your tongue forever either. No. Um. So I think I think any like, I just would I just would lean towards clean ish saison. You know what I mean? Not, not sour. Funk. Yep. Not funk. Um, I probably wouldn't drink Saison Brett with fish and chips. Uh, I would if I had a gun to my head, obviously, because I would drink <laughs> Saison Brett with anything if I could get a Saison Brett. But uh, there is a, but I would, I would say, you know, DuPont is fine. Anything that's, that's the more clean beer Saison than, yeah. uh, than your tart beers. Cause I think those are complex enough that fish and chips could just dominate those. So you're not really getting out of that, what you, what you want. Cool. Um, if you want to drink sour beer with fish and chips, I would just drink Gosa. That'd oh, be good too, good actually. Why didn't Why didn't I thought of that? That that's a perfect match because, like, Gosa's not blow your head off sour. Well, it shouldn't be in my book, and it's got that little bit of saltiness, so it won't be affected by the saltiness of the fish and chips. That is a great choice. Hear me out, nerd, nerd, nerd shit right here. Get some like tempura whatever fish shrimp vegetables any of that stuff big tempura platter and like a gosa with yuzu or something in it that sounds so good to me (laughs) i want that and there's no way i can replicate that in my house right now which is depressing that's one of those things that i just would go out to eat Uh, it sounds good and some sushi or something Hmm. hey what do you think about this this is a this is a side topic with with fish um as you can see i'm segueing perfectly for our audience they are following the thread of this twisting their minds around thinking about fish different fish shapes uh sushi people are are trying to make lots more food at home they're not going out and i see people my my goofy white friends trying to make sushi uh what do you think of something like that tony what do you think about uh uh you know norm the a normie trying to put together a sushi roll Okay, you're probably not going to – well, you, you might think I'd come at this a different way because, you know me, I like to make shit. I've made beer. I've got bacon curing at the moment to make my own bacon. Sushi should be done by somebody who is skilled. You should not be buying gas station sushi. You should not be buying <laughs> supermarket sushi. You should not be making sushi at home. Mm-hmm. The the enjoyment of sushi comes from great skill and great produce. While you may be able to get great produce, 
I doubt you wouldn't have the skill not to fuck it up. And that is really the key in sushi. Don't fuck up the produce. And I don't trust people, even in a pandemic, when they've got lots of time on their hand, not to fuck up top quality product. I just I just think about and I'm not saying everyone has to be Jiro. You know, you don't have to be Jiro. You don't have to spend 40 years learning how to make sushi or whatever, 50, 60 years. But you need to spend more than 30 minutes, I think, is, yeah. is maybe the uh, the amount of training you might need. I, I think there's a reason people go through kind of long apprenticeships um, to become sort of sushi, very like specialists or experts. And listen, the most of the people making sushi in the United States, you know, the overwhelming majority, even places that are pretty good are not training for 20, 30 years to do Agreed. it. Some of them are, and some of them in the, in the Chicago suburbs are in fact, um, if, if you, and, and you don't have to look that hard to do that, but you, I, I just don't think like white lady in your home, you know, hobbling together, uh, you know, some cut up oily sardines into some undercooked rice. Yeah. I'm not, not, not going to be me. You and, know, and that's be the me. other thing with it. It's not only just the skill it takes, because I think that for the most part is slightly overstated. Um, it's also having um, the equipment to do it correctly, getting the right rice cookers, not only the, the right rice, getting the rice, rice cookers, getting the right tools to form these things. While Giro can do it with a knife and that's basically all he needs, the majority of people are using rice cookers. They're using um, think tools to help them along the way to, to supplement that skill gap. And I, I don't think a lot of people during this pandemic are going out and investing in those products as well. Uh, Tony, I want to, uh, I do want to, I do have this on my, uh, list and I have to talk about this with you since we're on the topic of, of food. And I think that's okay. I did eat something yesterday that I really think was the, my least favorite thing I've eaten during this, uh, uh, quarantine. And I, um, I want to make aware, uh, I want to make our audience aware that they should not be purchasing this item. Okay. Uh, uh, I had, uh, chickpea pasta yesterday (laughs) and it is not a pasta with chickpeas i I think that would be that doesn't sound great to me but i i think there's probably some way you could do that there is there bon appetit have a great recipe for that i share your pain sure and I'll, i'll share my story this is a this is a pasta made out of chickpea flour or chickpea something chickpea flour pure powder pure whatever so I, I'm looking at it and it looks fine, you know, out of the package. It looks like it's going to be like a whole wheat type of thing, which I'm not always crazy about, but that's okay. You know, I can live with that. Um, so I uh, get it in the water, uh, you know, got it in the boiling water, the salted boiling water. Uh, it says cook eight to 10 minutes. Cool. You know, I always put it on the low end of the scale first. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do eight. Let's see do where seven. We're at, you know, see where we're at. Sure. We could have done that, frankly, um, because at, about seven minutes and 30 seconds, I look in there and the, uh, the things are disintegrating. They're melting. Uh, the little, you know, rigatoni has the ridges in it, yep. right? Um, they're just breaking apart at the seams, at the ridges, uh, just busting up. Um, not overcooked, like in texture of the, the flour and water and egg itself, but literally just melting um, the, like the, the, whatever the ridges is breaking in half. Yep. So they're falling apart. Um, I strain it, get it back in the, in, uh, in the pan with my sauce. I had a nice tomato sauce that I had made. Um, and I had again today with real pasta and it was delicious, but, um, it, it was really horrible, uh, horrid tasting. Um, uh, just grainy sort of like starch flavor, sort of like an unseasoned, really tasted like an unseasoned chickpea, just like raw. Or not raw, but like, you know, like a canned chickpea. But if you mushed it all up and made of made like a Play-Doh shape out of it, uh, no taste. Uh, even the, the flavorful stuff I put on it somehow got absorbed into the no taste. Like it just had no flavor. I was like, do I have the coronavirus? I can't taste anything. <laughs> my, my tongue is uh, I'm, I, I need to get take my temperature. What's going on? Uh, but then I ate a cookie and I tasted that fine. So. Uh, so don't 
guys don't do it. Um, I, I, I certainly appreciate, um, the, I, you know, bought it on a whim, something to throw in the cart. Hey, what's this? Whatever. You know, it's 99 cents. Uh, but, uh, you know, don't gang, don't, don't waste your, your buck on that. It's, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with it now. I think I'm just going to overcook it and puree it back into hummus or something. Just throw it out for fuck's sake. I 100% agree with you. Um, before getting my, um, diabetes education, um, I was looking for products that I thought would be perfect for somebody who was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. So I thought, I know pasta's high in carbs and that's something you should avoid. Let's try chickpea pasta. Everything you described is accurate, except <laughs> you left out the fact that even the parts that were not overcooked come off slimy. Even with a sauce yeah, on them. It, it is slimy. Yep. And I'll note that I it said to rinse off the pasta, which is a no-no in it my is. mind yes. in general. So I did it, though, anyways, because I touched it, and I was like, ugh. So I was, <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Um, it's like a film on there. So I rinsed it off and got the film off. But unfortunately, in the process of rinsing, it, it obliterated the pasta even further. I mean, it just blew it up. And what I don't understand is normally when you put a sauce on pasta, the two work together to sort of heighten that sauce. It makes a good thing and makes it better, done correctly. This, we used the same amount of sauce that we normally would, and there was no sauce left. It was overly dry. We added yeah, pasta It's weird. It, like, sucks it up and then, like, turns it into flavourless mush. Yeah. It's so weird. It's like gruel in pasta form. <laughs> And these health nuts, I love it. Like, I like chickpea products. Huge fan of the falafel. Love the falafel. Oh, yeah. And um, there's even a chickpea, um, like, chip replacement that I, I really enjoy. Got a ton of flavour. But that's because they're using it the same way you would use tofu as a blank slate to put a ton of flavour onto. The chickpea sure, yeah. pasta is out and out one of the worst food experiences I've had in the past 12 months. It was terrible. Yeah, it was not okay. So we're on the same. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly surprised any other country would allow such an awful product to get on the shelves besides ours. But well, I stand corrected, I suppose. Um, so, <laughs> so I think we, I think we nailed down enough food talk. I do want to bring up um, at least one, uh, one, uh, one beer thing here, uh, Tony. I mentioned this to someone recently. Uh, I am drinking less beer, I think, than I had been before the uh, before we became uh, uh, locked in the house, but uh, or hermits, I suppose. But one one thing after at this weekend, I was uh, I sort of just had the craving to become non lucid, I suppose. <laughs> sort of wanted to stop being aware of everything in the world at once. Um, and I don't mean that in a suicidal way. I just want that to be clear. I, I know that people have real life problems with that. So I don't, I don't want that to sound like I'm um, being insensitive, but I, I did sort of just want to want to sort of slip into like a, a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a drunken daze. Right. So I'm like, I, you know what? I might try to tie a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a bender on here, see what I can do, you know? And I just can't, I can't. Uh, I am, I can't, my body, something in my body or brain, uh, I can't, I can't get drunk uh, anymore. It does not, the, the world is not allowing me to get drunk. I will get hung over. So that's possible. Um, but I can't, I can't get drunk anymore uh, for some reason. So explain this to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not understanding what you're saying. You're saying you got, you consumed enough alcohol to get a hangover, but you didn't get drunk or you just didn't get happy drunk. I think the amount of alcohol I have to consume to get a hangover is now no longer the amount of alcohol that I can consume to get drunk. I think I can drink three <laughs> beers and get some kind of a hangover, but if I drink three beers, I will not get drunk. <laughs> I think that's my, one of my problems. That's problem A. Number two is like, I just don't, the, the time that elapses while I'm drinking, I'm not very good at just like pounding a beer by myself. And there's something very uneasy about that where I'm just like, I'm going to hammer down uh, some lager, you know, I just it, by, by yourself. It's just sort of a hard function to undertake for me. I don't know, you know, um, 
and I'll just have my wife like looking at me like, Oh, what are you doing? You know? Uh, and, and it's just, it's just really, it's really difficult. And I, I read about people who are just like, well, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting uh, uh, trashed. I just drank two bottles of wine and I'm like, wow. Like how late were you up? Were you up till 4am? Like what, how long does it take you to do that? It, 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 everything just takes longer now for some reason. Uh, so I can't. So unfortunately I, I can drink three or four beers. I get a hangover, but I am still just up scrolling on Twitter with my eyes, like peeled open clockwork orange style, just staring at every, you know, every Trump tweet and every, uh, every, um, you know, whatever, every freak from the Senate posting something stupid and just like, Oh God, you know, <laughs> uh, screaming. So I'd love to be drunk, but, uh, it's, it's not happening. Do you think the problem was you attempted it with beer? Shouldn't this have been a job for the spirits on your on your shelf? If you really want to tie yeah. it on, shouldn't it be with spirits and sort of the Brian Malika approach? Whatever glass the in, free pour, yeah. yeah, free pour into whatever glass you've got. Maybe that's something to try this weekend. Uh, I tend to uh, I tend to be a little bit lighter with the with the spirits in the world, just because I I don't know. There's there's just like this uneasiness i have with like four shots of whiskey or something but i don't know i guess it's worked to be in vegas before so maybe i should try that that's a good idea i'm not saying um, you have to do shots just make big ass cocktails just make just, just heavy four on the huge board. old fashions yeah. yeah old fashions or just your standard like college fair like rum and coke bourbon and coke oh, just I, i've got plenty of uh seltzer water maybe i can give that a shot i think well, i'll report back maybe this weekend i can uh I can I can use those tips. I do. I just have a lot of beer, so I tend to want to do it with beer because it's around. Don't waste that investment. That is stuff you enjoy. Get some Tito's, <laughs> a couple of limes. Not a not a vodka fan. I'm not a Tito's uh, fan. It's just like overpriced to me. But you know, I'll drink vodka. Sure. There you go. Vodka uh, soda, much cheaper, and we'll get you buzzed quicker. Just go heavy on the port. You can't taste vodka anyway. That's a good point. So, uh, well, I got bad news, Tony. I'm not buying any vodka uh, on on the internet. I am still buying beer. Um, I do want to. I do want to include a little bit of beer talk in our show. So, I thought we could play a. Uh, we could do a little segment. This isn't a game. We could do a little segment here where, uh, and people will love this. I think. <laughs> um where I tell you the beers I'm getting shipped to me uh, in the next week Ooh, and you, excellent. and you tell me how stupid I am or how smart this is. All right, Tony. So I have a crate coming to me uh, from Tavor next week. And I'm just, first of all, let me count the amount of things are in here. One, two, three, four, five, seven. I would say I have at least 30 bottles in here um, and cans. Uh, I'm just going to pick out three or four of these and, and, and kind of get your response on these. Uh, cause I think you'd be interested. Um, uh, the one I picked today, by the way, is a beer from a brewery called Casey. Are you familiar with Casey, Tony? I'm not. So this is, uh, it's called funky blender, raspberry and cherry. It is a, uh, I would call this a barrel. It's a barrel aged sour with raspberries and cherries. And I did pay $30 for this. What do you think of this one, Tony? Um, how big is the bottle? Are we talking 330 mil or it's bomber a size? Seven, seven fifty. Seven fifty bomber. Um, I think that's quite reasonable. Um, I think you can't really go wrong based on the descriptor. Well, you can go wrong, but I think you've made a sound choice. This sounds delicious. If it sounds fram fram bias kind of thing. It, it is gonna be I, I would say this is almost definitely gonna be good. Um I was a little bit hesitant about the price. Uh, it is 7% alcohol. That's sort of, I, I can't tell if I think that's good or not. Um, I think it's good that it's 7% <laughs> alcohol and maybe I can get a buzz and a tummy ache from this. But uh, I think it's, um, I'm wondering if it's going to be a little bit cloying, I suppose. But I don't think so. I mean, Casey is very good. So well, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited for that one. Yeah, I, I don't see how... I don't think they would be charging that price if it was like cloyingly um, 
on the pallet. It seems like at that price you're paying for a premium product, so I would expect a premium drinking experience. And for me, that doesn't just mean big booze, big flavours. It means big balance as well. So uh, actually, this is giving me an idea for us eventually to have have a stupid game where I make you play prices right and guess the price of these beers. Um, One dollar. You have to get familiar. Yeah, right. Exactly. You're just going to do that every time since you're playing against yourself. Um, so here's another one. I think you'll like this one, Tony. Uh, this is from a brewery called Listerman in Cincinnati. I know you haven't heard of them. At no. least I'm pretty certain. So first of all, the other thing to recognize about Tavor is that I don't know who the MFA or failed MFA student, are you uh, like a creative writing student they have that, that's spitting out these <laughs> descriptions of the beers, but it's very funny. Um, and I'm just going to read you these couple of paragraphs here. Uh, Listerman Brewing's decadent dessert stout, The Works, is no exception to this rule. And the rule was um, being offered the dessert at an Italian restaurant. Boy, I should actually read this whole thing. This is very stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to read the whole thing. Here we go. Whether you're standing in line at a sub shop, craning your neck to order from a food truck, or lounging at the delicately lit Italian restaurant, if you're offered The Works, you accept. Do you think that's true, Tony? No. I don't think that's true at all. Listerman Brewing's decadent dessert stout, The Works, is no exception to the rule. Your inner sweet tooth 12-year-old will go crazy over this syrupy stout. Brewed with chocolate, peanut butter, vanilla, powdered sugar, nuts, and sprinkles. Yes, sprinkles. Essentially, it's the adult version of the mountainance, all of the fixins ice cream sundae you've only dreamt about. With each smooth sip, your palate will be delighted by waves of velvety chocolate and bursts of peanutty goodness, followed by a hint of luscious caramel. Still, you're not about to enter into a sugar-induced coma. These Ohio brewmasters know how to craft a sweet stout that bursts with flavor. I'm going to say you're going to enjoy half an ounce of this. And by the time you finish with that half an ounce, you are done with that. That sounds over the top and not over the top in a good way. What did you pay for that sucker? What do you think I paid for it, Tony? Um, it's a 12-ounce bottle. 12-ounce bottle. Okay, so not not big. Um, does sound like it's got a lot of ingredients, so that brings up the price. I'm going to say $6. <laughs> I don't know why I thought you would guess higher. I paid eight ninety nine for it. <laughs> See, I can do the conversion back. I know how cheap beer is in America and versus Australia. Um, so I only got one, though. I only got one. <laughs> Let us know how that one turns out. That, that All right, I like got two. A I got two more for you, and I think you'll like. I think you'll like these ones. Uh, this beer is called Fossilization, and it's by Weldworks, and it is a collaboration with Speciation Artisan Ales. Um, and Speciation is like a sour, mainly a sour, uh, wild brewer, and it's really good. Um, Weldworks makes hazy IPA of and sweet stout of mixed provenance. I would I would say, but people love them. So this is a, <clears throat> well, here we go. On your right, okay, welcome. Today, Tavor is taking you on a tour of the Weldworks Brewing Museum of Natural History. What do you think of that, Tony? Isn't that great? That's a nice tag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on your right, you may remember our past offering of the coveted blueberry pie Berliner. It can be traced as far back as the nearly forgotten pre-COVID-19 period. Okay, not bad. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> fucking old. All right. Uh, something, something else cringeworthy. This is a beer, sour Berliner Weiss with uh, papaya, blood orange, and passion fruit puree, which actually sounds delicious to me. But is not papaya the world's most overrated fruit? It is. It is. It is. If you don't get it in like the exact moment, it just is flavorless and musky, isn't it? It's yes, just what it, it tastes like to me. I've I've had like some fine examples, but it's never blown my mind like a, a like perfectly ripe mango blows my mind. All right, and 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 in this one, I'm going to give you one last one here, and that one, by the way, I did. I only paid six fifty for a sixteen ounce can of that. So yeah, that that to me sounds like it's got. 
that it's going to be completely middle of the road. You're going to be consume it and go nice beer and be done with it. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one last one here, um, so you don't have to listen to all thirty of my beers I have in here. But this is uh, this beer is called, and you're gonna know who this is by probably right away. It's called What Even Is Blue Raspberry Anyway? That's uh, actually a short title of a beer for these guys, the Evil Twin fellows at Evil Twin, uh, New York City. It's not called like I left my purse on the subway and somebody found it and brought it to my house. Ale. But I was missing tampons. That's right. the thing they do. Oh, no. yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> That's good. So this beer is a bright blue color. It is a, not, okay, it's like a blue-greenish teal color, I would say, more so. It, but it is very clearly, it is not a blue-greenish beer color. It is a blue-greenish color oh. of like a paint. It is that color. Um, so this beer is a, uh, it has blue raspberries in it. Um, okay. It is, a. Uh, am trying to find out where it says what the beer is. Cause I just looked them up on, on tab to get the real description. I don't read these. Um, I, so after, uh, so he sold out the first patch of what is called it was a blue raspberry dessert, sour IPA. Uh, he, they made this beer only for Tavor members. So that's cool. And I guess it has blue raspberry in it. I don't really even it doesn't give you any description besides that. <laughs> I think that this could be a really exciting new style of beer because my issue with some of the dessert beers is they're too over the top. But like my fa- some of my favourite desserts have that tang, key lime pie, lemon meringue pie. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, even pavlova done with fruit while it's oh, yeah. over the Delish. top yeah. and can be sickly, it's always balanced with some sort of acid. So this idea of a sour dessert beer really excites me. While it looks like a gimmick on the surface, I'm really excited that you've purchased this beer. This is one beer I want to hear back from you. Um, And I'm not sure when you saw it what your impression of it was, but was this an instant, this is going in my cart kind of thing? Anything from Evil Twin goes in the cart. That's okay. uh, anything, anything from either of the twins goes in the cart, frankly. So, uh, Mickler pops up, I'm, I'm putting it in the cart unless it's something I I've either had many times or whatever, you know, yep. anything from evil twin, New York city, especially, you know, that's going in. Um, I have two Mickler beers in here right now to, uh, some vanilla shake and, uh, 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 some kind of guava gosa or something, which sounds delicious. I didn't want to read the only delicious sounding beers because it'll get boring. It'll just be like, hey, yeah. this sounds yummy too, doesn't it? Um, but the blue raspberry beer, I think, sounds good. I Literally today, um, and now you can get my uh, beer review of the day, of course. Um, I did drink a, a pink pineapple beer from Evil Twin, uh, and it was extremely good. <laughs> it had a pink lemonade quality to it. Um, just tropical sweet flavor and it was pink i mean it was strong pink so uh evil twins doing it doing it up right now with these glute beers is that what you're talking about they're they're fruited that much that they're almost dessert beers but they're balanced with acid or again i'm trying to understand this classification that you've come up with i know it's not a mainstream one but i just really want to get my head around when you say this is a this is a so I think it's I think pastry sour has become a prevalent term for it. So it's it's just pretty sweet sour beers. They're not as dry as a, a Dray Creek or something. You know, <laughs> um, it's it's uh, um, you know honestly if if uh, New Glarus is sours, which you probably you haven't had, there's no way. But uh, no, but I do know there's those. I think were some of the like first like relatively sweeter sours. I don't think they meant for them to be pastry sours, but they <laughs> do have a nice like dessert quality type of port flavor to them, you know? Um, and I think there's more coming out like that. So I think um, there are more like pastry type sours that have um, even, even mix in other things like they'll, they'll throw in vanilla or lactose or things like that, that kind of, give you the sweet end and the, and the sour piece of it. Um, I think Hudson Valley, I think in New York. So if you ever see any of those stumble your way, uh, they make a lot of stuff like that. 
Now, with adding things like lactose, does that increase the body and how does that play off against sour? Because most oh, of does. the sours I've had have been really light-bodied. Um, mm-hmm. And so adding lactose is intriguing. It's not, it's not sort of tilting me one way or the other. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it's it's not like pastry style where it's painfully sweet. It's more drinkable, but it 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 will you will want to split like a twelve or sixteen ounce serving of it or a can of it. I mean, it's it's sweeter, it's bigger bodied. Um, they tend to be higher alcohol than maybe your traditional sour beers would. You know, they tend to be in the six, seven, eight range versus four, five. You know what I mean? Um, they uh they're not as dry they they hang around on the palate a little bit they're much more forward flavored so they're much more clear with the fruit um i mean there's a lot of them i i think they range from the versions like what i'm talking about with evil twin or uh, hudson valley up to the gloop i think gloop fits firmly into pastry sour um gloop is is sweet and just has chunks in it. I mean, <laughs> but it's, it's a pastry sour, yeah. Yep. But the um, the the bigger body is is something that's enjoyable, even in small doses. I think so. Oh yeah, yep. I, I, cool. I like it. I mean, I, I like the texture of those beers. They sheet nice too. You know, it's like it's got a little bit of that like pastry stout where it sheets out of the out of the can or the bottle. Yep. That that's what I was really asking because as somebody that these beers aren't prevalent in Australia yet. I wanted to find out what they are actually like. It's fine to have these descriptors, but if you don't enjoy that bigger body or it's a negative, well, it's probably something I'll avoid. But if you say it's delicious, well, then I'll, oh, it's then good. I'll yeah. go out and try it. Some people can knock off two or three cans of these things. I think they're nuts. I mean, that's just heartburn waiting to happen to me. I mean, with all the the sugar and the potential fruit solids and everything, nah, you're not getting me into that. But I'll, I'll, I'm gladly will. I'm sure I could take a can down, no problem. But usually, I'm splitting it. Yep. Well, there's so many things out there. Like you don't want to spend all your calories on dessert anyway. So if you're going to have a beer budget, if you're only going to consume three or four cans on a big night. You don't want to have all of that beer, dessert beers, all the time. Oh no, yeah, the, it's uh, the mead is fitting into that too. That's the other thing you got to be careful with, or else you get fat. Is mead um, because I feel, <laughs> and somebody started selling session mead. By the way, there's a brewery around, or a meadery around here that started selling session mead, which I just was giggling at. Like, First of all, our, our definition of session is stretching when we are including like six and a half percent things as session. Um, second, what? How many calories are in even session mead? I mean, is it five hundred, six hundred calories a can? It's made from honey, you know. But at the end of the day, sugar, sugar. Like, doesn't matter how it's fermented, whether it comes from barley or honey. At the end of the day, it's got the same amount of calories in it. It depends how much is unfermented, really. So if you get a dry well, fermented um, session, um, hey, these mead. are purple coming out of the can, so I, I, I gotta believe there's some there's some unfermented fruit solids in there. Just saying. Yeah, but it, that, that's what people don't understand that that at the end of the day, the reason we use malt in beer is to extract sugar from it, which we then turn into alcohol, and so honey's that that product, but it's more efficient. At turning itself from from sugar into alcohol, you don't have to go through other steps. Honey, a meat is uh, from everything I've heard. Meat is one of the easier things to make, but I mean, obviously, one of the more expensive things to make because honey is okay. much more expensive than barley. My my research, I I haven't made meat. I wouldn't say it's easier. What you don't have the um, the the steps of doing a mash, but the issue you have is with the fermentation. So right. a lot of these modern meads are being fed with oxygen and yeast nutrient at a um, very specific timetable, and that allows them to take the aging period from years to months. So in the old days, home-brewed mead would take years to mature in the bottle. You would you would ferment them out and they'd be done in a couple of months, but they would need to sit in the bottle to mature um, and lose a lot of the off flavours. Modern mead, at least on the homebrew scale, is now fed with yeast nutrient and also 
oxygen in the initial stages. We're talking first couple of days and we're talking pure oxygen, not just given a shake. And that yeah. really speeds up the yeah, process yeah. and I'm sure that's happening on an industrial scale and that's why you're seeing more mead out in the marketplace in shorter time. So while you don't, you can't fuck up a mash, I don't think it's easier. More technology in there, yeah. Yep. And more, to, yeah. Well, they're good and they're weird. So, uh, you know, keep your eye out for anything from superstition or whoever that's probably going to come out there because uh, – Unfortunately, those meads are very expensive, and I'm even I'm even I'm holding off on that. So, um, all right, Tony, we have done our obligatory beer talk. I think it is time to send these nice people off on their way. Um, so you can uh, email us, of course, and I'll check the email at once a week right now when I think about it uh, and and look at it and make sure that. Uh, I don't have a, a glut of unanswered emails in there. Nope, you're good. Uh, no, I won't look at it for another week. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, so email us beerengineshow at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram at beerenginepod. And you can find me on Untapped. I'm Griff with two Fs AD. And you can look at the beers I'm checking in and say, is he really sober? Is that true? He's not drunk? That's weird. Um, but it's true. I'm not. So, um, Tony, do you have any last words uh, for our adoring fans? I, I just want to say, what kind of animal would spell Griff with one F? <laughs> I swear to God, you've spelled it with one F. I don't know if I, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, a cat, my cat maybe would do it. <laughs> that, that was not a question to answer. 